Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Welcome to the Betting Above the Rim podcast. This is Coach Young. Today's date is December the 18th. In today's podcast, we get into five topics. Number one, John Morant returns this week from his 25-game suspension. What do we expect out of John this season, and can the Grizzlies turn around? Next, we talk about the hottest team in the NBA, the Clippers, coming to tonight, winners of seven straight. We'll talk about what's been going well with the Clippers Three, Scoot Henderson, starting to play better. Why is that? How should Portland attack this the rest of the year? We'll look at the Defensive Player of the Year award from the rankings before the season until now. And lastly, we'll talk about Gino Oriema and the Yukon Huskies really not playing well. Three losses this year, ranked 17th in the country. Welcome again to the Betting Above the Rim podcast. And let's get started with John Moran. John Moran obviously will debut this week. Uh, after serving uh, his 25-game suspension. And this is going to be a big thing here in the NBA because John, let's be honest, folks, is one of the superstars in the league, a, a guy that's really made a lot of mistakes uh, in the last you know year, year and a half. And you know the first thing I want to say to John is I just hope that he's got his head on straight. He's gotten the help that he's need, he needs, and he's surrounded himself with positive role models that can ensure that John's doing what he's got to do off the floor. And that's the thing, because Jaw off the floor is the problem. Jaw on the floor is absolutely fantastic. And if you pull up his stats uh, from last year, getting 26.2 points per game, 5.9 rebounds, 8.1 assists, and shooting the ball at a uh, 46.6% clip. So when you look at Ja, he's an absolute superstar. He's a one-man press. He's a one-man fast break. He could really do it all, and if you really look at it, he's had a, a phenomenal career uh, for the most part. And the thing you looked at, job, ja, uh, you know, looking over his career is, you know, every year he shot it at about, you know, 47, 44 to 48 percent. I mean, the key thing is he shot at 33.5 percent from three. That's something that uh, you would expect him to get up. And then he shot 76, or I should say about 77.6 percent from the foul line. And his assists really line up pretty much every year, 8.1 uh, last year. I'm sorry, down to 30.7 from three. So when you look at Ja and you look at the, the that team uh, in the Grizzlies, now you have to start looking, okay, can this team make a run? Tonight, as of tonight, they're going in a record of 6-18, and 18, and they are at Oklahoma City. That should most likely be a loss for the Grizzlies. So if you look at Ja coming back at 6-19, and 19, 
and you start to look at their schedule right off the bat, well, what do they got? They got to go at New Orleans, home Indiana, at Atlanta, at New Orleans, at Denver, at the Clippers, home Sacramento. He's not really stepping into a situation, folks, where they're just going to start rolling teams over because all those teams are playing predominantly well. I know Indiana's fallen off a little bit since the in-season tournament, but they could score in bunches. So to me, it's not so much about John coming back. To me, folks, it's about who is not there for the Memphis Grizzlies. The fact that they still don't have Brandon Clark back from injury. They still don't have Steven Adams back. You know, those are two really important linchpins to that team and a team that's really struggled for the most part. Marcus Smart has missed a bunch of uh, time. Uh, Derek Rose has missed time. Luke Kennard has missed time. So this is a team that really hasn't played well for the majority of the season. So if you're going here expecting John to go in and save the day for this franchise and lead them to the playoffs, I don't think you're going to get that. If you look at the Western Conference, folks, like like I said, them being at a, at a record of six and eighteen, you know, right now they stand uh, to be thirteenth uh, right now, and that would be right now six games. I should say, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, six games out of the loss column, six games, and they got to jump two teams, actually three teams. And if you really look at it with the Western Conference, let's be honest. Minnesota, Oklahoma City, Dallas, Denver, Sacramento, Clippers aren't going anywhere. Pelicans aren't going anywhere. Lakers aren't going anywhere. So now you're looking at Houston, who's really overachieved, and a Phoenix team that's 10th right now, that if we expect them to get full strength, they're going to get there. So to me, I want to go to the window looking to cash tickets for the Memphis Grizzlies to make the play-in or to make the playoffs. I just think there's too much to overcome with not just the injuries, but losing a guy like a Tyus Jones, who I believe was the best backup point guard in the NBA. I know they got Marcus Smart, but this is the best uh, backup point guard in the NBA. And at times their offense moved better without Ja than with Ja. So while Ja will be a welcome addition back to Memphis and they will be loved by the fans, I wouldn't go running to the window expecting that team to make a really big run. Let's stick in the Western Conference. Let's go to the Clippers. A Clippers team, folks, that's won seven straight games and has played absolutely phenomenal basketball. I came on this podcast several weeks ago, and I talked about my concern with the Clippers. And my concern with the Clippers mainly dealt with the fact that you had four guys in Westbrook, Harden, PG, and Kawhi, who all needed the ball in their hands to succeed. And I thought that that was going to be a major, major problem. Well, let's talk about this, folks. What is the number one reason why the Clippers are playing great basketball? I'm going to say it. Kawhi Leonard right now is playing like a top 10 player in the NBA. The Kawhi Leonard that we saw win a championship in Toronto, uh, the Kawhi Leonard that during uh, that playoff loss to Phoenix was absolutely fantastic and was outplaying Everybody, including Kevin Durant on the floor until he got hurt. The 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 Kawhi Leonard, but in the last uh, six games or five games, 36, 27, 31, 34, and 41 points. The claw is back, and he's playing phenomenal basketball. And I think the even bigger thing to talk about is if you look at the month of December with Kawhi, 29.4 points per game, shooting at, ready for this, folks, 61.7% from the floor and 57% from three, 
95% from the line. Now, if Kawhi Leonard's going to give you those kind of numbers, you can just put it to the bank. This team not only will go to the playoffs, but the Clipper team, if they stay healthy, could be a team that could be a serious, serious title contender. While you got Batman and Kawhi, you got to talk about Robin and PG, who has played pretty well, and he's adjusted to the role of the secondary guy. So there's nights where he can get you 20 points. He's gotten that in every game this month, but a nine-point performance and a win that he only played 16 minutes against Sacramento. So PG is, is still giving you really good numbers this year uh, at a tune of 22.7 points per game, shooting at 38.9% from three. Now, that's not as high. He's shot over 40% several times, 45.2% from the floor, 92.8 from the foul line. So he's playing really well. Now, when you go into the fact that they got James Harden, it, it, it seems like it took James a little bit of time to really kind of get going here. But now he's up to 16 point, uh, three points per game, 7.5 assists, which puts him at sixth in the NBA. And if you look at it right now, he basically has had two double-doubles in the last two games, 10 and uh, 12 versus the Knicks in that one 44-128 blowout on Saturday night. And then a 28-point, 15-assist, 7-rebound game versus Golden State. So now you got him cooking, right? He's got to adjust to playing with the Clippers. You got PG-13 playing like PG-13. You have Kawhi being absolutely fantastic. And then you got to talk about the bench. Now, I could really say, yes, Ibaka Zubak's been great uh, with his 12 points and 9 rebounds a game. But it's a play of Norman Powell off the bench. At 12.9 points per game, Russell Westbrook decided to come off the bench at 11.2 points per game. And don't sleep on the pickup of Daniel Thice as a backup. They lost Plumlee for a while. They signed Daniel Thice. Daniel Thice is a veteran, reliable big man that can get you minutes and can secretly shoot the ball pretty well. So it is good to see what is going on in the Clipperland. And let's be honest, folks, this is a pivotal year for the Clippers. Why is it so pivotal for the Clippers? Well, both PG and Kawhi can opt out, right? Harden is a free agent. So at some point, those three could be gone. You can look at Tyron Lue, who I still consider to be one of the five best coaches in the NBA. He could be gone after this year. So going into that new arena, Steve Ballmer really has something on his hands where he really had to push his ships in the middle of the table. And good for them for not including a guy like Terrence Mann, who he doesn't really blow you away from the box score, but not putting him in the trade for Harden. So because of the play of Kawhi Leonard being a top 10 player, the play of Paul George being healthy, being a top 25 player, the play and the adjustment of James Harden being the James Harden of all, although not the scoring or the assists, but starting to get there, their bench, uh, you know, with, with, with guys, like we talked about, like Russell Westbrook and obviously Norman Powell and the coaching of Tyron Lue. I will say this. The Clippers, if they stay healthy, will now, I'm putting them there, will be a title contender in the loaded Western Conference. Well, we've talked about two teams in the West. Well, let's make it three. Well, let's go to a player. And let's go to the second overall pick in this year's draft and Scoot Henderson. Now, when Scoot came out, everybody thought it was a, a two-player draft, right? They thought it was Webayama and Scoot. But then we've talked about in the last podcast last week about 
all the other rookies that have played relatively well so far this year. And Scoot has not been one of them. But, folks, it's starting to come to Scoot a little bit. So if you really look at Scoot's box score, you know, he's getting for the month. He's getting you 15 points per game, shooting at a 41.2% from the floor, 30% from three. Now, he's got to get that three-point shooting number up, and he's never been known as really much of a, a, a straight shooter. But Scoot is getting there. He's getting there. And he's still, folks, in all this month with those stats, He's only gotten over 30 minutes one time. And that's kind of the reason why I wanted to bring up Scoot, because obviously we talked about how he's played better this month. There's got to be a true commitment by this Portland Trailblazers team. Folks, they're 6-19. and 19. They're last in the Northwest Division. They have one of the worst records in the NBA. Folks, this team ain't going no damn where. So why are we sitting there playing Scoot 22, 24, 25 minutes a night? And that's not what this team needs. They need him to be on the floor every single night playing 30 to 35 minutes. And I get it. And that's where the problem lies. Because there's Simons, there's Scoot, and there's Shaden Sharp, and there's Malcolm Brogdon. So there's four guys, really for two and a half spots. So what do you do if you're Chauncey Billups and the Portland Trailblazers? You go young. Now, that already automatically means they move Brogdon. And Brogdon has been really good getting you 15.6 points per game, 5.5 assists. So he'll get you some kind of assets at the trade deadline. But my point is this. Between Simons and Scoot, one of them's got to go, and it's not going to be Scoot. So now it's Simon and Sharp. One of those two have to go. And that's where it becomes the difficult part for the staff of Portland. Who goes? Now, if you tell me DeAndre Ayton, who is still the biggest enigma in the NBA, and you guys know I, I was the biggest Ayton fan, giving you 12.5, 10.5, which is an absolute joke that that's what he's giving right now. But with Ayton, I guess you got to keep uh, Jeremy Grant with his contract, which is still one of the worst contracts in the NBA. We'll talk about one of the best contracts uh, in the NBA next podcast, Jalen Brunson, arguably the best contract in the NBA, uh, I would say. But if you go with a front court of Aiden and Grant, two out of the three got to be Scoot, and then you got to decide between Simons and Sharp. I would probably go with Sharp because he's younger, I think Simons is explosive enough at 25.7 points per game. Remember, he missed a bunch of games early, shooting the ball 36% uh, from three, 45.2 from the floor. You can get something for a guy like uh, Simons. You're not, you can't play these three kids a ton of minutes. It's going to hurt the development. So one of them's got to go. Probably it's Simons. Keep sharp, keep scoot, and then go from there. Although you could say that scoot stats have gotten better since. Simons has been back. So the, it's interesting to see what is going to go on with a team like the Portland uh, Trailblazers. But for me, the play of Scoot Henderson as of late has been better. He has showed a little bit more aggressiveness. Yes, his shot needs to improve. But the biggest thing I am pleading, I am absolutely pleading to Portland and Chauncey Bloops, give this kid 30 to 35 minutes a night 
and let him figure it out. He is young. He's 19, 20 years old. He needs game minutes. He needs to be on the floor. Let him develop and let him make mistakes. And I guarantee you, as he moves forward, he's going to be one hell of a pro. Let's move on to the Defensive Player of the Year Award and how it's really shifted and moved since uh, the opening night of the season. So opening night of the season, the favorite to win was Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, a little bit over 5-1. to one. Evan Mobley was right behind him. Anthony Davis, Giannis, Bam Adebayo, uh, Victor Webinyama, Gobert, Lopez. Now, obviously, when you look at those, before we, we take that graphic away, I want you to think about this. Jaron Jackson Jr. is never going to win it with the way he rebounds the ball. I, I don't, I don't, I, I know he's won it in the past. I don't like the way that I think he shows a, shows a lack of aggressiveness. Now, I wonder, was his, will his defense get better, folks, as he moves forward in the season with Ja back? Because now with Bain and Ja, maybe Jackson Jr. does not have to carry the load. But the big reason why Jaron Jackson Jr., folks, is struggling is because he doesn't have Steven Adams. Steven Adams is the protector. He is the enforcer. You can play Jaron Jackson Jr. as that weak side blocking power forward, and that's when he shines. So a reason why he's moved down is really has to do with the fact of who is not there with the Steven Adams, which talks to his uh, fabulous play. Obviously, uh, Evan Mobley, you know, that team is, is, I think we talked about it, that team needs to break up. Uh, part of the reason why Mobley isn't playing as well defensively could be the fact of what I've talked about before, kind of with, um, you know, Steven Adams, is Jared Allen missed some time and it hurts them. Um, but let's go to the favorites now. And that's Rudy Gobert, sitting at minus 115 as of this morning. And Rudy Gobert has been absolutely fantastic for the Minnesota Timberwolves, sorry about that. It looks like it's it's the Jazz graphic there, but uh, obviously Rudy's with, with the Minnesota Timberwolves. And obviously, when you talk about Big Rudy, you know, it took him a year to figure out how to play with both, obviously, most importantly, I want to say both, most importantly, playing with a guy like Carl Anthony Towns. And what I've seen out of Rudy Gobert, to be honest with you folks, is some of the best play of Big Rudy's career. And he's got to be complimented for the way that he's been playing this year, Rudy Gobert. And if you you know were to look at his stats uh, for Rudy right now as, as I as I quickly uh you know pull them up, you know, Rudy's getting you right now, you know, 12.7 points, 12 rebounds a game, 2.4 blocks really playing effective defense, and an anchor for a Minnesota team that right now in the NBA has the lowest points per possession defensively. Next, Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis we've talked about for years. I've talked about for years in his network. Really being a guy that's so tantalizing where he could really be a top five player, top ten in the sport. Now, I don't know if you're going to say he's playing like that right now. Uh, overall, but although he's been absolutely fantastic with the 37, 37, 41 last three games. But to me, the play of Anthony Davis getting you 12.5 rebounds per game um, and, and playing really phenomenal defense and getting you 2.6 blocks. The blocks really started in the playoffs, folks. He really started blocking a ton of shots. So he's been really, really good uh, for that Lakers team. Obviously, Darvin Ham coming over uh, 
from Milwaukee. He was kind of their defensive coordinator for Buttonholder, so I'm not surprised at that. What I'm also not surprised, folks, is how good Chet Holmgren is defensively. See, you, you see this thing where I'm going with these power forwards, folks, where you've got a center that is a rim protector that allows a power forward to be a weak side shot blocker. I just talked about how Jaron Jackson Jr. is missing this tremendously right now, uh, you know, without a guy like Steven Adams. I talked about how Evan Mobley hasn't been uh, maybe as good as he needs to be because he missed Jared Allen uh, for some time. Uh, but also, Chet Holmgren has really played phenomenal defense for Oklahoma City, and we knew coming out that Chet was going to be a phenomenal defender. And I sat here and I said this. I said if Chet Holmgren was going to be played as a center, he's going to get eaten alive. But if you play him as a power forward and he's giving you 16.9, 8.1, and giving you 2.7 blocks per game, 3.4 in the last 10 games, that's where he shines. So when you start looking at awards, you got to look at style and fit, right? You can't look at Milwaukee in regard to Giannis because they don't play enough defense. I can't give the Brook Lopez because he doesn't get enough rebounds. Jared Jackson Jr. I talked about. Joel Embiid should always be considered, but they're not going to probably give him that award. And Herb Jones as well, probably one of the best perimeter defenders at the small forward position. So to me, this is really a three-team race. And right now, I would say Rudy Gobert because of the fact of the great defense that Minnesota has played this year and being probably one of the best defensive teams in the NBA, like I said, number one in points for possession defense. He's the anchor of that defense. That's why you see Rudy Gobert at minus money. If they continue to do so, Rudy should win the award. Let's end with talking about women's college basketball and the gold standard, and that's the UConn Huskies. And a UConn Huskies team that really, I, I want to temper this a little bit. UConn is not playing UConn basketball. Okay, and I want people to understand this. UConn right now is 17th in the country with a seven and three record. Okay, if you look at their schedule, who are the three teams they've lost to? They've lost to NC State, which I do believe is the top 10 team in the country right now. They've lost to UCLA, who's a top, I think, the number two team in the country, and they've lost to Texas, a team that's a top five team in the country. So. I want people to kind of kind of pump their brakes a little bit about UConn and why they are struggling. They've lost three games, and they've lost, um, obviously, um, you know, those three games to really um, great teams. Why is UConn struggling? Number one, you, you lose a player like AZ Fudd. Uh, you lose a player that's only played four games in DeShane. Those are two starters, folks, that are core parts of that team that is in the starting lineup, right? So when you lose two players like that, everybody's got to move up a notch. Now, I'm not going to sit there and talk about my girl Paige Beckers because I'm going to tell you right now. I, I've went on and I talked to people about this. Y'all going to think I'm crazy. If you give me Caitlin Clark or Paige Beckers healthy overall game, I'm taking Paige Beckers. I'm taking Paige. 19.8 points per game, 4.5 rebounds, 2.8 assists, 1.4 blocks, 2 steals, 53% from the floor, 
50% from three. She's been outstanding. Aliyah Edwards has been outstanding, giving you 16.47.6. But one of the problems that you got faces, folks, is they're playing Aliyah Edwards at the five. I think Aliyah Edwards, as great as she is, could be someone that's better at the four position. So they got to find a way to turn around and get other kids' looks. I've said this, I've said this to people, and he, she hasn't gotten the time. If I'm Gino, look down at the end of the bench and look at a girl like Amari DeBerry. That's six foot five, shot blocker, who will allow to protect a player like Aaliyah Edwards at the four spot where she can become more effective. Obviously, you have a girl like Ar- uh, Griffin that's been there for a long time, giving you 9.9 points per game. And think about this, folks. It's not the offense of UConn, which is, I believe, top 10 nationally in points per game. If you really think about this, folks, I mean, if you look at the shoot percentage, as a team, they shoot 48.9% from the floor. They shoot 72.3% from the free throw line, and they shoot it, I think, a little over 36% from three. So you're already looking at a team and saying, wow, like they're they're putting the ball in the basket. So where where is the problem, folks? The problem is defensively. And I think that's been the thing that people forget to realize is they are as good or as better as anybody in the country with Gino Oriam as being defensively connected. It's not there this year, folks. If you look at their points per possession defense, UConn is sitting right now uh, in the 55th percentile defensively, folks. This is not the gold standard of UConn. This is not what we've seen out of this team uh, for years and years and years. We've seen UConn be one of the best defensive teams in the country every single year. And don't tell me because they're in the biggies and they blow teams out. You, Gino Golden plays everybody, right? So while they've been great in the 93rd percentile offensively, they're sitting at the 51st percentile defensively. They're, they're sitting... Uh, their defense manner zone has not been great. Their press uh, defense is only at the 12th percentile. You know, and then you start looking at, okay, well, well, well where, where is UConn really getting beat up, right? They're in the 19th percentile and spot-up defense. It's not good, folks. They're 32nd percentile and transition, right? They're 8th percentile and offensive rebounds defense points per possession. That's why I talk about a kid like Amari DeBerry maybe getting a look or trying to go big and moving uh, someone like Aaliyah Edwards to the fourth spot. And then defending the pick and roll, they're at the seventh percentile. So they are struggling from the defensive side of the ball. And I think that's what we have to see. Can they execute and be better? I will trust in the fact that Gina Oriema is the greatest coach of uh, this generation in women's basketball. I, you, I, honestly, I'll say Gino Ariama is the greatest coach of this generation, men's or women's basketball. You could say in the world if you can include the NBA and the WNBA. But they got to fix it on the defensive side of the ball. If they fix it, UConn will absolutely be a contender again for the national championship. So if you think they're going to be that team, you may want to go to the window now because once they get in the Big East season, they're going to start to load up and they're going to go on the roll. Big East play begins, I do believe, next week. 
This has been your Betting Above the Rim podcast for December 18th. For all information that you need on this podcast, my plays, my picks, anything you need for sports gambling, please go down and and download the Sports Grid app on iOS or Android. This app gives you absolutely everything you need for your bets, pregame, in-game, post-game, picks, predictions, plays from the best in the business at Sports Grid. It's definitely got to be something that if you're serious about sports gambling or sports in general, this has got to be the app for you. Make sure you download it on iOS and Android. Next podcast will be on Wednesday, the 20th, to be released on the 21st. One of the things we'll get into is we'll get into my talk about Jalen Brunson being the best contract in the NBA. Once again, it's been Coach Young. Thank you so much for listening to the sport, this podcast. Like I said, for all information, please make sure you download the app. It's been a pleasure. Happy holidays. We'll have another podcast a couple of days. Remember, it's smart to be on Sports Grid today. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.